0: Wednesday is the best day. Hi guys, hi all my subscribers, all my peeps. I just wanted to say, first off, how appreciative I am of all of you for tuning in, for listening, for the incredible reviews for the impact that you guys left Um, based on the intro from last week. I just can't thank you enough. And I am so wildly supported by you guys and it makes my heart so full. And I hope you know how much I appreciate it. We are right in the middle of a challenge. We just launched on Monday. And so if you're in my challenge, version one, version two, I hope you're doing okay with your Wednesday hangover and feeling like really motivated to make sure that you stick with it, whatever it is, whether it's drinking more water, cutting sugar, you know, we got your back. Jump into the Facebook community. If you're having a hard time, remember just eat real food, cut some sugar, sweat it out. Don't overthink it. I think a lot of people want to know it all, and then they get overwhelmed. So one one day at a time. I uh, just finished the NTA conference. We had an MPAC booth and a tea, Herbal Element tea booth, which was so wonderful. And I wanted to share this podcast today specifically because she also went through the NTA program, which is the Nutritional Therapy Association program that I <laughs> excuse me that I went through to become an NTP. So. Diana Rogers basically is it's not a rebuttal to what the health it's just facts and I'm so grateful for her sharing her story talking to me about farming and sustainable agriculture and also just how you can do things right and there's definitely a way that things are being done that is not acceptable and there's a lot of vegetarians that have an excellent point if they're doing things for ethical reasons, the food industry, especially the meat industry, it's disgusting. I mean, you guys have all seen the documentaries, you've all seen the horrible footage and it's unacceptable because where we get our food completely matters. But there is such a way to have nutrient dense food which includes meat that can be really great for not just your body, but also the environment. And so I'm not trying to convert vegetarians. I'm just trying to share some really great, powerful information. And that's what Diana Rogers is doing as well. I think, well, I lie. I might I maybe I'm trying to convert vegetarians. But <laughs> uh she's just wonderful. She has um so much great information, and that's the podcast today. It's sharing her story of her becoming a filmmaker. She's in the middle of creating a movie called Kale versus Cow. And I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast, and I think you will. All right. Uh, There's too many things going on that we're just going to call that good. So (laughs) enjoy the episode. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Right. Diana Rogers, I am just thrilled to talk to you. I love your message. I love your background. I wish more than anything I could have a farm. And it's just so fun to connect with you. So thank you for coming on to Meathead Hippie Podcast today. Thank you so much. And I love the title of your podcast because (laughs) I definitely consider myself a Meathead Hippie. I love it. It's like, you know, I never have heard those, that phrase together. And then when I was just playing around with renaming my podcast and okay, what represents me? It's so true. And every time I find a guest, they are also like, yes, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so it's great. Yeah. You have such a great background and you have some amazing things happening. And, you know, I kind of just, not just want to share the story of what you're trying to put out there and the th- the message that you are working on and what is really going to change so many people's perceptions of the food industry and also meat. But I also just, uh, I really appreciate the history that you have. You've been in this field for a long time. So I kind of want to hear about your start as an NTP and, mm-hmm. um, just a little background on you. Sure. Yeah. I grew up outside of
1: New York city in a little, town on Long Island and actually worked on farms as my summer job all through high school and college. And then I have a very kind of wiggly (laughs) route in in, in leading to where I am today, but I ended up with a, a bachelor's degree in art education and then kind of found myself in natural foods marketing after that and working for Whole Foods and and a couple other brands. And it really wasn't until my daughter was born and I realized I couldn't, I couldn't pay for childcare for two kids, you know, while having this corporate job with a husband who worked like every single hour of the day and just wasn't available for any help at all at the time um, because we were running a farm and he just, it was crazy. And so I ended up, working at the farm, running the kitchen, running our farm store, running our big CSA events, weddings, everything. So that was a super fun job. And we were also at the time running a raw milk co-op.
0: Oh, and, no, right. That's, yeah. so, that's really
1: hard to find. So, that's yeah. so, good. <laughs> that's so awesome. that was one of these underground, in Massachusetts, <laughs> you can't really do that. So it was through this Amish farmer that would drop off the milk and, um, and, I was like, what are all these raw milk people doing here? Like, this is, I didn't understand anything. I was eating, you know, a mostly vegetarian low fat diet. And you know, so I, I, I started learning a little bit more. I went to a Weston a price conference and I had to hear eat butter about a hundred times before I actually would let it touch my mouth. (laughs) And, Lo and behold, it, you know, I, I was diagnosed with celiac at age 26. And so I had already been gluten-free, but I just was eating like the gluten-free version of a, you know, quasi healthy standard American diet with all my whole grains and my, you know, gluten-free whole grains, my toast for breakfast and, you know, gluten-free pasta for dinner and, you know, gluten-free beer and all that kind of stuff. And so once I started incorporating the fats, I was much better at regulating my my you know carb swings and and then the more i you know we started selling the you know rendered lard that i would i would render in our kitchen from our pastured pigs and i kept getting questions from customers like why are you selling coconut oil when it's saturated and saturated fat is bad for you and i you know didn't have a ton of nutrition or science background and so i didn't really know how to answer those questions very intelligently other than it helps me and it makes me feel good yeah um, and, you know, I, so many there's so many books out there on nutrition and I would read one, I would read The Fat Flush Plan and like, yes, that sounds great. And then I'd read a book on juicing and that sounded really good too because these folks are really good marketers. And, you know, to somebody who doesn't have a lot of nutrition background, they all sound right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided to go to Nutritional Therapy Association, mostly just to fix myself and to educate myself to better feed my family and to better answer these questions from my customers. And towards the end of the program, I had to do a book report and follow a diet.
0: I don't know if they still do that in the program. Or I don't was, think I did do this. Yeah. I did like a community project that I didn't have to do. I'm curious what they made. Yeah. So we had
1: to read a book. This was back in 2010. So it was a while ago. Um, we had to read a book that had a diet plan in it and then follow the diet plan and then report on our experience on that diet plan. So oh, that's kind fun. Of what fun did, yeah, process. that is fun. What did you do? So there's Well, there was a book called the paleo solution that had just Woo-hoo. come out <laughs> <laughs> and it made so much sense to me. Like it all just clicked perfectly. It just immediately I was sold and I was really scared to try it. Um I, I don't really love sweet potatoes. And so I kind of did a hybrid version of Rob's prescription in that book where I, um, I did a very low carb version of it and a higher fat version, which is keto basically. And I, I didn't know what keto was, but I basically went keto for a month and it just totally fixed me. Like my life went from black and white to color. Like, Immediately, it was amazing. I could go from breakfast to lunch without having tunnel vision and sweating like profusely, <laughs> yeah. you know, from skipping a meal. Um, it really like all my food cravings vanished, and you know, I lost a few pounds, but I've, I've never been overweight, even though I was in complete metabolic syndrome and my blood sugars were off the charts. Like, I, I never looked unhealthy. In fact, I was thinner than, than I am now. And so I opened up my practice, uh, my NTP practice and.
0: I will um, say really fast. I just think it's so awesome that Rob Wolf was that book for you because he was that book for me as well. (laughs) Uh, and I always tell him this, I'm like, Rob, like you don't even know, like that book was so huge for so many people because it was the first introduction and I just read it and I was, I was convinced I was all in. So that's Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's funny because when my husband read it, he it didn't really like John Durant's book did it for him.
0: Oh, I love John Durant too, he's so great. That makes sense,
1: you know. It's written differently, I think that you know, it's just like I'm a total questioner and I love science, and so that's what really appealed to me about Rob's book. And John takes a different approach with like gorillas and stuff in his book, and and I love his argument too. And it's a really good book, and um, so that just it just works for different, you know, however they get in is awesome, but Mm -hmm. definitely, um, different people just resonate with different messages. Right. Totally. Um, And so anyway, so I, so I opened up my practice and lo and behold, a low carb ish, whole food ish diet worked for every single one of the people that were coming to me, whether they had like GI issues or weight to lose or, you know, whatever it was. And I kind of couldn't believe it. And it was just, blowing my mind. Mm. And then, um, I ended up getting my RD only because I just, everyone who was coming to me was sick. And in order to do medical nutrition therapy, I really felt like I wanted that credential just for liability reasons. And also to be taken, you know, to work more with doctors and, and
0: yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Other RDs, because I Mm. feel like that's the biggest Probably roadblock. There's such a divide between registered dietitians and NTPs yeah. that this, we're not taken seriously. And I think that's so great that you did that. Yeah. Um,
1: and but there's a huge group of paleo RDs um, that I'm I'm friends with. We've got a big, very robust group on Facebook. And in fact, even during my consults, if I have a question about like you know this person has a funky lab and I don't really know like what to do, I can I can post that during my consult and get a response from like four different RDs during Mm -hmm. like within
0: 10 minutes. That's awesome. The support is there. So I'm glad that's growing because that definitely has probably been a evolution of its own.
1: Yes, definitely. (laughs) And so, so today I have um, my daughter who's sneaking in my office right now while I'm on Uh, my podcast. She she just turned 12. Uh, Um, And I have uh, Yeah. I have a son that's about to be 14. We live on this big, beautiful farm outside of Boston um, where we have a vegetable CSA, organic uh, vegetables, and then we also do pasture-raised meats. So we do uh, pastured pigs through the woods. We do lamb and uh, goat, and then we do chickens for eggs as well. We do a lot of education programs here on the farm, and that's really my husband's Job like even though I, I live here and our our son is our best tractor driver, and <laughs> uh, but then my job has really moved off the farm and I'm just I've gotten so busy with my nutrition practice and then with all the other stuff I'm I'm up to. So it's really it like if I could create the perfect job for me, this would definitely be it.
0: I love it. Where uh, I'm just recently going to Boston because that's where my boyfriend is from. So he's South Boston. Are you in that area? Uh, is he like Southie? Like, is he like hardcore Boston? No, he's like, like- no, he's actually Duxbury, which I okay, okay, that's a nice place. That's I know. good I surfing. Felt- <laughs> I felt like I was in a J Crew magazine. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's
0: very preppy. Um- <laughs> um, so I will. I would love to come see your farm, and Definitely. I. I loved it. You were talking to Liz Wolf and on Balanced Bites podcast, which everyone should go listen to because if you aren't subscribed to that, it's a great podcast. I love Liz. I love Diane. Mm-hmm. She said something uh that I loved and it was basically like, you know, you guys are just figuring it out. And if you wanted an animal on your farm and you didn't know what to do, you just got your husband a book. <laughs> <laughs> that was my
1: Christmas present. Like if I, you know, I thought, "I wish we had some sheep and I would just get him a book on like stories guide to raising sheep." And then we just
0: get it. <laughs> I love it cuz it's sheep. so it's so true cuz nobody knows what they're doing, right? You just have to do it. And I to me a farm is so intimidating. It's so far away from what my life so I mean I live in a Apartment on the fifth floor in Denver, downtown Denver, Colorado. You know, so the mm-hmm. idea of being a part of agriculture and seeing the animals do what they do I, is so appealing to me, but it's so far removed from my actual reality.
1: Yeah, well, my husband he grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, not on a farm, so uh, so it's definitely doable. Basically, what happened was we met in college, and he always. I met him right after he got back from Knowles, um, which is National Outdoor Leadership School. Like the, he'd done a winter camping in uh in the Rocky Mountains actually, with like no tents and, you know, just tarps and pouring bacon fat on the snow and all this. Um so he he always loved environmentalism but didn't really know what to do for a job with that. Like he, you know, and so he ended up being an English major and he just wasn't sure. And then when we were living after college, we moved to Portland, Oregon and got like real jobs, uh, you know, like office jobs to pay the rent. And he was miserable. Like he's a definitely an athlete, loves being outside and just really hated making money for the man. Like he, <laughs> he was so unhappy. And so he read a book by Wendell Berry called, um, the unsettling of America. And that changed his life. And, mm-hmm. and actually, there's an awesome documentary on Wendell Berry called Look and See, which okay. I highly recommend. Wendell Berry is, um, he's an amazing writer and speaker. Uh, anyhow, so so we moved back to Massachusetts, and he went back to UMass, where we both had gone undergrad. And he, and Actually, that college started as an agriculture school, and so he went and um entered their master's in soil science through their ag department and kind of got a job on on the side learning how to drive a tractor and and you know do all the hands on stuff and then
0: got a job so' nice. cool and the so i want to get into soil science a little bit too, especially' uh you have some amazing things in the work, so let's talk about those before this Gets too far because we could (laughs) talk about this forever. I am curious. I feel like this, you know, just based off the podcast I listened to with you and Liz and just the stories that I've heard getting introduced to you by Bobby Gill. I know this has been inside of you for a long, long time mm-hmm. and you have been ready to put it out, but the you had to be patient. And I think that's so, you were like, eh, not yet, not yet. And I just, there was a moment that was like, yep, it's happening. And so I want to kind of talk, I'm just going to let you introduce it and share the story and kind of where you are with this project. Sure.
1: Yes. I've always wanted to really connect people to, you know, what is the most optimal diet for human health and sustainability, and where does that where do those two circles overlap into a Venn diagram? And it's pretty overlapping when you look at, you know, a really good paleo type diet, um, and you know, what regionally the land can provide, uh, especially here in the northeast, and so, um, I you know, had this book that I had been working on and, you know, having problems finding a publisher because it's just like totally different from all the other, you know, eat less meat and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's out there or, you know, environment, you know, for the environment, we need lab meats. That's the future, which is complete BS. Mm-hmm. Um And so I, what the health came out um, this you know, past summer and I noticed, you know, the real food community was all fired up about it. And I was like, you know what? I've thought about doing a film on this. Actually in 2014, I had, I was all ready and I had interviewed a bunch of directors and then it just didn't feel like people were ready to hear this. And, you know, slowly over the years, the number of people, you know, at my conferences Uh, have you know sitting in the chairs has gone up and people I think now are finally putting the dots together and realizing that you know if we're gonna have these diets that are you know pretty high in animal protein it makes sense to then consider how these animals were raised like not only you know what did they eat, but how they were managed on the land and how they were treated. And so I'm on the board of animal welfare approved. I work a lot with savory institution, which is um, that connection with Bobby Gill there I actually got him that job. So I can take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, and, uh, and, and so I decided after what the health, you know, that people, people really make decisions based, on emotion, right? And, and lots of people can read things in a book and be sold, right? Like you and I read, you know, everything made sense to us and we, and we were sold, but there's a lot of people out there that need to see it and need to really, really understand why biodiversity is important without me telling them why biodiversity is important. And so what better way than in film format and So I, you know, I, I'm pulling in my, my art background. I've, I've produced a small film in the past called Soft Slaughter, which is all about like ethical, ethical slaughter. It's just a two minute short on a woman who is this badass butcher in um, Vermont and, I partnered up with a director, her name's Minna Joseph, and she, her family started Maple Hill Creamery, which is oh, yeah, yeah um, an amazing, 100% grass-fed, organic dairy company in the Hudson River Valley in New York. And so she really understands everything there, and she's you know a filmmaker. And so the two of us are just a really great team, and we're really looking to make this film that's not really reactive to what the health like I'm not going there I'm not going that low you know I just don't we don't need that Uh, what we need is a beautiful well-produced story of, of a meat has been vilified nutritionally environmentally and ethically and so that's that's what we're working on now. So we have a crowdfunder that we put together with the pitch video and everything. We've been pretty successful and a lot of people have, have gotten behind it and we've gotten a few, you know, better meet companies behind it as well. And now we're in um a place where we're still looking for money because we the films cost it's, it's a expensive.
0: Lot. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it's um, crazy how expensive it is, but it's, so, I mean, I'm just curious. I i love that you're saying that you're not reacting to what the house. but a lot of my clients are, you know, although some of them are familiar with this NTA world, what I really want to do is talk about that and kind of the, I think the biggest thing is were you just going crazy when you watched it? Was it just like eating your soul away a little bit considering this wasn't a part of you and needed to come out? It's, it's. Just so
1: it was so poorly done on so many levels that it just made me mad. And what makes me even more mad is that they're showing this in science class at my local schools as if this is real.
0: Oh my like as if
1: this is not vegan propaganda and as if, you know, meat causes diabetes. Like really, you know, like this is biochemically impossible right? Like, like that's, that's not, that can't happen. So, um, so that's what makes me the most upset. And actually the other day I got a message from a, a young woman who works on some local farms and she goes to a school not too far from me and said, you know, the the eco action group is showing uh cowspiracy and can I please give her some talking points? And I'm like, talking points like that I can't just give you talking points like I'm coming there please you know give my email to your teachers and I'm coming there and then they need to come see this farm Um, if they're going to show a film like that that has no nuance no context all meat is bad um, and and everybody has to go vegan and pushing this moral agenda um, that absolutely has no place in in a school system without Mm -hmm you know, some kind of critical discussion where there's another piece shown, and then maybe there's
0: a discussion about it. Which is why this documentary, Kale versus Cow, is so important, and I can't wait for it to be there, you know, to not just for the individual schools to have access. And I just think It's just, well, let's talk about a little bit how the way that you farm and the way that you eat your meat and where you purchase it can actually be beneficial for the environment. Cause I know Mm -hmm. this is a new concept for a lot of my listeners. It's so cool. The combo that you have with your husband, the soil science, Mm -hmm. you know, degree and having your background at RD and NTP, uh, where was it where you were like, okay, I need to figure out the the message to show the opposite is true and was there a light bulb moment for you or is it just kind of an accumulation of having your own farm and seeing it day to day where you realize that this is the way that we can rehabilitate planet earth ultimately
1: so i guess i mean the regenerative ag that we practice here on the farm is a co- uh, you know, comes from a combination of learning from people like Wendell Berry, Joel Salatin, who is a, you know, one of these big celebrity farms, has a farm called Polyface Farm down in Virginia that we have visited many times and we've watched how he raises his animals and I've talked to him many times, not only on uh, raising animals, but the ethics of eating and killing animals for meat. Right. Um, and he's amazing because he's sort of like a minister when he gets up, when he gets up and talks, like he's, he's, mm-hmm. you can tell he spent a long time like watching um, being preached at. And he he sounds very much like that when he talks and it's really cool. What's his um, name again? Joel Salatin.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. So he's
1: the guy on the crowdfunder video that's endorsing me in the video. Um, mm-hmm like a little further down on the page. Yes. Uh, and so he's been in a lot of these food documentaries and basically, uh, he's not the one who invented, you know, intensive management. There's a lot of producers that practice this, but basically the idea is, you know, he calls it Bob grazing Savor Institute, you know, has another slightly nuanced method of it, but it's the same kind of idea called holistic plan management. And basically there's, you know you can have one cow on an acre of land and and just call it a day right and call it grass fed but then you know what really makes a healthier animal and really rebuilds the soil is the way that the way that animals are managed on the land so it's not just about a cow on grass it's much much more um intensive than that uh, but basically the idea is If you picture savannas in Africa Mm -hmm. and how, like, big herds of wildebeest kind of move through um, the savannas and they're in the grasslands and they're they're moving because there's predators after them, right? Mm -hmm. And if they stay in one spot too long, they're gonna get eaten, and they're also gonna overgraze the land, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea behind intensive, uh. Planned management or mob grazing is that you want to intensively graze the grass and then move them, move those animals. And you can do that with electric fencing. So we don't need to have, you know, hyenas and wolves <laughs> um, doing it for us. And then the land actually gets a chance to rest. And so, you know, as the cows are grazing, they're they're stimulating grass growth, they're pooping on the land which actually isn't waste at all it's fertilizer and and then as the land as they move on and you let that land rest that's when the magic happens and that's when carbon can get sequestered into the soil and uh, the plants do that by photosynthesis and dripping little uh, basically carbon carbohydrates down to the bacteria in the soil feeding the bacteria allowing it to multiply. Um, and the manure is mono- inoculating, you know, even more of the cow's microbiome that's going into the soil, you know, creating diversity there. Um, and, and then the grass can grow back, you know, much stronger and healthier and the roots grow longer. Um, but it's really that rest. And so it's much different than just, you know, cows on grass. It's cows on grass being
0: managed appropriately. Mm-hmm. You explain that so well, because this is something I'm a little ignorant on. Like, of course, I love the quality of my meat, but this is something I really want to dig into and understand more because I feel, I mean, I do, of course, want to see it, but it's just, that was a great visual. So for you on your farm, do you have, you know, and especially small farms versus larger corporations and mass mm-hmm. mass meats? you know, is it just the idea of creating either with the land that they have, just segmenting it and moving animals through it is that just the simple process Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much i mean there's
1: rotational grazing where they they actually have like quadrants where they'll move the animals holistic plan management is a little bit so it's there's all the different methods of doing it but base the basic idea is you you get a you want really intensive grazing on a piece of land and then you want a long rest period and so the way we do it on our farm, it, and there's many different ways to do this, but we we have some grass areas that we keep the sheep and goats on. We graze them um, until you know the grass gets a certain height, and then we move them. And actually, then what we do is we follow with the mobile chickens.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and this is something that Joel Salatin does too, because the chickens can then go in, and they add their own manure. They scratch up the land, so. Um, aerating the soil. Mm. And then they're also eating any little parasites that might be, you know, in the system of, of these animals that comes out in their manure. And so they're keeping everything very, very clean. Um, And, and that's one thing that's really important on a farm is to keep everything moving all the time. Because if you have a stagnant piece where, you know, the cows are just on this small piece of, of, you know, fenced in paddock all the time, it, it just allows for, you know, if one cow has a parasite, they're all going to get that parasite because they're all grazing the same thing all the time. The grass gets overgrazed and, and that's where, you know, you see overgrazing. So what we really need more of is this intensive management where where the animals are being moved. And here on our vegetable farm in the wintertime, what we do is plant over the vegetable beds. We'll plant some rye and vetch and other cover crops And then we graze the animals on that. So the animals are fertilizing our soil. The cover crop is also adding, um, you know, nutrients to the soil and we're growing protein Mm. on it. So it's like a win, win, win times a thousand. And So so that's kind of how we do it on, on our small farm. But that's how, you know, these small scale farms always used to do it. Mm. so this isn't new this is this is very very old old ways and it's just kind of like applying it and you know now that we have electric fences we don't need shepherds anymore to to be like you know out moving the animals we don't need to you know have wolves uh border collies yeah (laughs) Yeah, we actually have two border collies (gasps) that's my
0: favorite dog diane oh really (laughs) yeah i think it I know I have to come here. I, I will ask you later on when we, before we close what your spirit animal is, but if I was a dog, I would definitely be a border collie. Well-
1: that's that's the spirit animal of my son for oh, sure. Oh, I
0: love it. Like, I know he's
1: sitting in class and they're talking about whatever. And he's like, you know, it's snowing outside, right? It's snowing, it's snowing Snow. outside <laughs> and you want me to sit here. Uh, yeah, so we have two border collies and, and actually we use them because we keep the sheep in a barn at night and then bring them out during the daytime. And so the, the border collies are working. And um, one cool thing is where we got the border collies from, he won't give them... He won't allow you to buy them from him unless you have a herd of sheep. Like he Uh, wants the border collies to be working because you know they'll
0: go crazy. They go crazy. They have to be herding. I, I mean, I fostered it was a partial border collie lab mix, and I knew, oh my gosh, my lifestyle is not meant for this. I will love the heck out of this dog until I find the owner it needs because this is not the type. I mean, I'm going to have to be on the mountain snowboarding every day uh-huh. with this dog. If I, I know.
1: <laughs> they find things to do if you don't give them work. And so, you know, sometimes we'll have ducks on the farm and they're herding these ducks. That's what you can use. You can use these ducks. They all look like daffy duck. Like they're these long, skinny, like bowling pins of ducks. And so you've got a flock of ducks and the dogs are all day long, just running around the farm, Getting these ducks into whatever situation they want these ducks to be in, it's hysterical i they hurt children. Um, not in a nippy way, just in a really funny way. Like the kids don't even know they're being hurted and the dogs are like making sure these kids are not going where the dogs don't want them to go. I um, love it. It's always a hysterical situation on the farm because the dogs are outside all day long, so. Um.
0: I love it. And I, it's just so interesting, especially, I, you know, this is the most simple argument, but just how much you love animals, you know? And I think that's something that's so hard for certain vegans and vegetarians to understand is that we're so far removed from the process Of the food and how it got on our plate, Mm -hmm. and that's really the issue of the problem, and not just with meat, but with you know, we drink a glass of wine, and we don't understand the process that it took to get to that. We just kind of are like, yeah, sure, it's good wine, but the stories, the hands, the the everything. But I just think that's something I wanted to address about with you when it comes to animals and with butchering and Mm -hmm. with the circle of life. You Mm know, how was it always kind of just a part of it, like yep, this is part of it. it was always hard. at any point has it been hard for you on your own farm? You know, seeing a cow, loving a cow, and then eating the cow. It, you know that kind of process. I want to talk about a little bit.
1: Yeah, what I think people don't realize. Well, first of all, we don't actually raise cows on our farm. Um, just because we don't have the land, we're we are in suburbia here on our farm. Like we have this beautiful little patch of nirvana utopia here, but we are. We are right outside of Boston, like like I love it. Twenty minutes to Cambridge. So um, <laughs> you are, yeah, yeah. Um, so we just don't have the land in order to to raise cattle. Although we've thought about getting a couple small. There's a there's a smaller breed that that we've been thinking about getting just because it'd be fun.
0: You got to um, get a book for Christmas. I know, <laughs> I know,
1: I do. That's, I know Christmas already have. I'm all. Um, that's my next. Yeah. Uh, but. So what I think what people don't realize is that farmers actually love their animals. And it isn't easy to, you know, bottle feed a little lamb and know, you know, that one day it's going off. But, you know, when we think about what natural death is, like death in the wild, it's not a pretty thing. Mm-hmm. Like getting eaten alive by a hyena, like that's how death happens out in the out in the real world, you know? Yeah. Um, it, there are so many ways that animals die. They might break the leg, you know, on a rock and then be left by the rest of the herd and then some vultures might get it. I mean, there's there there is no, like, hardly ever just like, oh, it died peacefully in its sleep, right? Yeah. So what humans are able to do is be humane. Mm. Unlike any other animal, we are able to actually be humane about how we choose to harvest the animals and move them into their next existence which is feeding a lot of people. And so if we think about, you know, all life being important, plant and animal life being important and everything is just feeding off everything else. All nutrients are just being recycled. We live in a big ecosystem here.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, the kale that's growing in the ground, if the cow comes and chomps on that, the nutrients from the kale are now in the cow, gets converted into protein for humans and then that turns into muscles for us. And then, you know, one day we'll be feed for worms. Like, it, it's just, it, it. we're not in control of nature. We're not at the apex, uh. you know, of all things. We are just a piece of nature and a piece of the food cycle. And so when you start to raise your own animals, you're really much more sensitive to using the whole animal. I I try really hard to, you know, cook with all the cuts of the animal. I don't waste anything. I never throw anything out, you know, even at, we save the bones and I'll make a stock with those. Uh, And, um, you know, the thing is you really can't have healthy plants without animal inputs. And so Mm. you can pretend that, you know, no animals suffered for your tofu, but that's not the case at all uh because someone had to clear either some forest or some grasslands and annihilate all of the native whatever was living there in order to make the field for the soy and then you know most soy is produced with fossil fuels with chemical ag so you know killing all the species of of bugs and frogs and birds um, that get in the way of these chemicals. We're destroying the soil. Uh, we're ruining riverways by, you know, all the chemicals leaking into the water, killing all the fish, ruining the lives of the bears that depend on the fish. I mean, it's, you know, plant agriculture is not, uh, a clean situation by any means. Yeah. Um, and so once people understand that, you know, death does happen, even for that tofu, whether or not they intended it, it doesn't matter. It happens because uh, that's what I hear a lot. Well, it's all about an intent and I just want to cause least harm. And when you think about all the creatures that die in, in a monocrop plant-based agriculture situation, like what we see when we fly over the United States and we look down and we see all those circles on the ground, um, you know, compare that to one cow that can produce almost 500 pounds of food while increasing biodiversity, not harming, you know, all the other animals, but actually, actually creating habitat for birds. And, you know, the Audubon Society is actually very pro- uh, well-managed cattle because they're actually bringing birds back to land. We can't just have fallow fields with nothing growing in it. That's that's how ecosystems die. You absolutely have to have animals in healthy ecosystems.
0: It was kind of mind-blowing, like so probably the first statistic of realizing the impact of foods. I think like Greek yogurt, the amount of water that it takes to create one quart or one cup of Greek yogurt was just like, it, I don't know, 90 gallons or something. It was just kind of like, well, oh.
1: yeah, a lot of those numbers though, they're calculating in, like if the cow is on grass, they'll calculate in rainfall as if the cow oh. is drinking every inch of rain that fell on every acre of land that cow was on and never peed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm very skeptical of water numbers, um, because, Are they looking at green water, which is the rainfall, or are they looking at blue water, which is actually like irrigation Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, groundwater that's being used for, you know,
0: actually the cattle to drink. Um, So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, oh, I don't trust anything. I'm excited for your documentary because mm-hmm. I will trust it. <laughs> um, well, this is this is really great to talk. I think for somebody that's you know doesn't have a farm is kind of removed from the process of the life cycle. What are some of your top tips to help them understand? You know. How can they find out where their meat's coming from? What should they look for? What are some simple things that can help them actually make a difference? Because I think sometimes uh, we get overwhelmed, like, well, nothing I do is actually going to matter, you know? I know. And so I think, what are your go-to things for people um, that would really, that do actually matter?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, volunteering on a farm, I mean, you can get an awesome workout. We've done, we've had like CrossFits come here, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> I love it's that. A, it's a good workout. Like my husband's in amazing shape and, and our whole crew is too. And whenever I'm like feeling like, okay, I just can't sit on my computer and write anymore or I can't, you know, handle any more phone calls, I'll just go out and weed with the crew and it is, it's fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> um, that.
0: <laughs> so I would love to see more farm fit workouts so it's very functional it is yeah. my favorite way to work out farmers carries are actually one of my favorite moves <laughs> and it's a
1: legitimate actual thing that farmers do that's like something i actually posted that on my instagram we have this one intern that was working last summer and she's ripped and she's a crossfitter uh and and but i mean she's doing an actual farmer's carry with what like does she carry two big buckets of water yes. i'll find it for you i'll send you it should. You. i love it yeah um Uh, and so anyway, so working on a farm, I mean, just even if it's volunteering, like a lot of farms will do work for share. And so, and we do that here on the farm, on our farm. So people can, you know, they don't want to pay for their share. They can exchange their labor for.
0: I love that. And I know there's so many places that do do that. So that's awesome. That's a great first tip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Guys, get out of the gym, get, go (laughs) do something with your body that you can like actually produce food with, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's my personal thing okay so uh (laughs) (laughs) other than that um go to a farmer's market and talk to the meat producers talk to them about how they're raising their meat ask if you can visit the farm it's not always you know easy for them to open their doors just for from logistic reasons um but that's that's a good thing um if you're only buying your meat in in grocery stores um you know, look for that 100% grass fed label. And I mean, the other thing is just please stop eating so much chicken. So, you know, <laughs> pastured chicken is awesome, but uh, it's really hard to find. And there are some great companies that are doing it. So if you can get your hands on some pastured chicken, by all means, please do. But it's and so hard to find. Yeah. It's hard to find and it's expensive and it's expensive for a reason because chicken should be expensive. Mm-hmm. That they, they used to be you know, I think in the 1940s, like if you were to do a comparison of like what a chicken actually cost, you know, way back, you know, in today's dollars, a chicken was like forty five dollars. Wow! Like, it was it was a luxury item, and it's it's only cheap today because of cheap oil, cheap mm. grains, and nasty conditions that they figured out. Like, oh, we can raise this bird in forty five days, and you know, keep it alive just long enough. You know, anyway, I, I'm really not a fan of the typical chicken, CAFO chicken industry at all. And yeah. and I even argue that, that, um, if you're choosing between just typical beef, like in the grocery store, you're just looking at the case and you're just at like a, like a lowering grocery store that doesn't have grass-fed beef, um, still choose the beef.
0: beef. Wow. I'm glad yeah. you said that. Okay. What are your thoughts on turkey?
1: Uh, so nutritionally, Turkey's really high in omega-6, like chicken, because they eat grain,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, so beef is going to have a better um, omega profile. Beef is also much higher in iron and B12, which are the leading nutrient deficiencies, especially among women. Um, and so, you know, cut it out, everybody, with your turkey and your chicken. Like, we don't <laughs> need more turkey burgers. I mean, it's fine. I'll eat it, like, on Thanksgiving because it's a tra- traditional, you know. I'm, I'm I live in the real world, and I, you know – you know, whatever (laughs) turkey on Thanksgiving. Um, but it's, it's, um, really hard to find a pastured turkey. Like their mortality is really high. They're very difficult to raise. They'll die. Like they're very delicate animals. And, um, yeah,
0: so they're, they're not as hardy even as chickens.
1: I didn't know that. I always thought they were
0: kind of like, like I've seen wild turkeys and they're just, they seem like they could survive anything.
1: Yes, but that is very, very far away from what... That makes sense. Yep. The turkey is
0: that you see in your store. Yeah. <laughs> um, man. Okay, good. So uh, being smart about those meat choices in the store. And then any other s- small tips? I'm trying to think of anything. I'm terrible. You mentioned this with Liz. Like, I forget my grocery bags all the time. And so I'm really trying to be better at reusing mm-hmm. my grocery bags, never using water bottles.
1: Yeah, I know. It's... I think that everyone can do better in some way. And so just to have small goals and, um, you know, pick, pick wherever your, your next step is. So if it's, you know, trying to have a little more grass-fed beef in your life, um, then, then that's where you are. Maybe cut down on chicken, cut down on that cafo chicken, like boneless skinless chicken breasts are just not good. Um, yeah and uh and then you know i'm always trying to do better too i mean i don't I, you know sometimes i get coffee to go in a paper cup sometimes yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and you know sometimes i'm running late and i'll pick up a rotisserie chicken at the store like i just yeah. do right because it's easy i can feed everybody they're you know whole foods sells them for like 10 bucks and yeah. it's just it's easy but so i'm not perfect and i don't want perfect to get in the way of like i couldn't find some grass fed beef I, rob always says that right like i can't, I can't find grass fed beef so i eat a bagel right like yeah. that's not where we need to be um but just i think the overall what i'm really trying to do with um this film is like for example i live in a town with very educated people who are very health health conscious and you know concerned about their longevity which is a luxury that a lot of people don't have right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Like when I asked you if it was like legitimately South Boston, like, like I worked in Dorchester, which is a pretty rough neighborhood, um, when I was doing my internship for my RD and those folks don't have the luxury of worrying about longevity. Like that's just on the hierarchy of needs. That's not something that they can afford to worry about. They're worried about, you know, their car starting tomorrow and like paying rent.
0: Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um,
1: and so, um, but anyway, the, the, the people that do have the luxury of like our listeners, right, that, that have the luxury of being able to push food away, um, which we need to admit that that's a luxury that a lot of people yes. don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we have, you know, expensive cell phones, expensive MacBook computers, and we're flying, you know, around for vacations and stuff, then please stop telling me that grass-fed beef is too expensive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um
1: it's it's just like it's not an acceptable or or even you know the folks that whatever. I'm not.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you're saying this. This is good to hear because it's I mean we do uh, there's so many things we just take for granted. That's ultimately what this is, right? We take for granted the food on our plate, we take for granted how easy it is to access good food and I just I like that you brought that up. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So um so I think
1: that um that there's, you know, everyone can start somewhere and I just want to, um, you know, I I hope that the people who I reach, which are, you know, that ethical omnivore, that person maybe that used to be a vegetarian and still feels a little uncomfortable about eating meat, I hope I put their fears aside and I hope I make them feel okay mm. about the impact cattle can have on Our health, our environment, and um, that when they're raised well, it's really the right thing. You know, it's 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 actually
0: causing less harm than a lot of the plant-based alternatives. Ah, It's so wonderful! I cannot wait to see Kale versus Cow come out. And everyone, please go. What's the best place for them to go? Uh, I mean, is there an easy link to Indiegogo? Of course, Mm -hmm. it'll be linked in the notes. Where Mm -hmm. can they find you? Where's all the Where's all the
1: goodness? Thank you. Um, So the campaign is sitting, uh, I have a link directly from my website. So it's sustainabledish.com is my website. And then if they go forward slash film, it'll take them directly to the campaign. Perfect. And um, there's tons of awesome perks on there. And uh, they can also um, listen to some of my podcasts. I have some amazing uh, podcasts where I've interviewed people like Joel Salatin. You might really like that one, actually. Okay, Um, great. And a lot of other really cool people, Lear Keith, who wrote a book called The Vegetarian Myth, which is a phenomenal book. Ooh, Uh, I haven't read that. Oh, you need to read that. Ooh, yes. How have I not read that? (laughs) That is a really good book. Um, And a lot of other really fun, like I interview all kinds of folks and I should have you on. I I try to do a a broad mix of health and you know, producers and I'll have a grass-fed beef producer and then I'll have, you know, Dr. Parsley talking about sleep and, you know, I kind of, I have a a wide range there. I love Uh, it. Yeah. And then on Instagram, it's my favorite social media platform. So I I don't like Twitter and Facebook's okay, but Instagram, I try to post images of the farm and my life on the farm and and, uh, thought provoking um, messages uh,
0: every day. I love it. It's not the cow, it's the how. Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, thank you. My final question for you before I let Mm -hmm. you go is Do you have a spirit animal? That's a good
1: question. I think, um, I don't know why I keep thinking antelope
0: or like gazelle or some kind of. (laughs) I'm just going to read a couple pointers to see. I have it. Well, okay crazy spirit animal book that I'm obsessed with uh ooh, you're quick-witted and you think on your feet you're innately psychic and highly intuitive you're adaptable able to survive in any environment you're somewhat shy but you don't like to be alone for a long time and you have very sound judgment oh that could Maybe a little bit of antelope. That's a a good first one to kind of feel it out. It would be too ironic if you were a cow because- No.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I know it's like a classic prey animal, but that's honestly like uh, when I was an art student, that was, I took all these welding classes and I took uh, just a ton of, of sculpture classes and I was always sculpting deer heads and and antelope heads and and stuff like that so i think oh that's
0: cool this well is the image first thing that comes to mind oh uh, well i think you might be an antelope this is so fun <laughs> diana i'm so glad we connected and shout out to bobby gill for connecting us and yay i can't wait to get your message out there i think you are just doing what needs to be done so i really appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule to be on this podcast with us thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it's so nice to connect
1: with you